Hallelujah. You have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Please, we want to, we really love to have you at our new bank, members banquet. I forgot to announce we do have a sign up sheet in the foyer. If you could please uh, sign up so we can at least start trying to get a head count and get different things together. And we just really want to spend some time and it'd be valuable time. So we thank you for uh, signing up so we can get a head count. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Verse 6. We've been teaching on love now for quite a while, and the Holy Spirit's been doing a work. How many, how many have felt and seen a work in your life already being done? Amen. Today, I believe it's going to bless you. It says in verse 6, Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Rejoices in the truth. You know, that word truth there is real interesting. It means the unveiled reality of what is hidden in the base or the foundation. Well, that's enough to get excited about because it says we don't rejoice, we don't judge, we don't criticize, we don't jump to the conclusion of the sin or the wrong or the error that we're seeing in someone, but that the truth, the reality that is hidden in the core of their heart, the seed that has been planted in their heart even as a child is at the base of their life. And even though many times many people are searching and they're wondering and they're going through life trying to find their answers and trying, even trying new things. The word says that there is a truth that is hidden even in the base. And another translation of that word truth is the manifestation of the truth in their life. What was there, listen to this translation of the word, this is the lexicon. What was there before their eyes all alone. All along, what was before their eyes all along. They couldn't see it. We may not be seeing right now the truth that is able to make us free. There may be some areas in our life that we're fighting and we're wrestling over and we wonder, how am I going to get free from this? How is my child? How is my wife? How is my husband? How is our marriage going to be delivered? But that word truth there says, get ready not to rejoice of what all the wrong that's going on, but get ready to rejoice that all the truth that is hidden at the core is about ready to manifest. And what you could not see, the power of the truth has been there all along and you're getting ready to see it. It also means no longer to what just appears to be. Hebrews 11, faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I don't see it yet, but I know it's there. They may not see it yet. They may not be acting and operating in the area of truth. But the truth is at the base and the truth will prevail. I want to speak to you today and you saw it on the billboard as you on the sign outside. But what do we do when truth and life collide? We're believing God for things and we're working on things and it seems like what we're believing God for just isn't working. Have you ever felt like other people were passing you by spiritually? Does you feel, do you ever feel like, you know, man, what, what is all this that's going on in their life and why is it happening to my life? You know, you've been believing God for a mate, and all of a sudden, on a Sunday morning, we marry the uh, ones who are in charge of the singles ministry on a Sunday morning. And instead of rejoicing, the pain says, why couldn't it have been me getting married to Bob? (laughs) How many people... (laughs) How, How many people, you know, how many people think, you know, they're getting married... You know, I've been going to this church a lot longer. Why hasn't God sent me my mate? But the truth is there all along. You just don't see it yet. Amen. What do you do when 
You prepare for something and you just expect we're going to be married to death do us part. And that seems to be the truth in your heart. All of a sudden, life happens. You know, how many have ever feel like, you know, I haven't been given a fair share or, you know, I just don't like what my, what's happening to my life. And how, anybody here's got any imperfections? I mean, did you see these people on the front row? I know the people in the back thinking, what are those people smoking? They're on the front row and man, they're just, you know, they're all excited. But you know, you know, I guess one of the wildest we have, don't look at her, is our little banner girl right here. And I know everybody's saying, what is that girl on? Well, let me tell you, she's on Jesus. She's on Jesus. You see, there's, there were some things in her heart she needed. There were some things that she needed when she started coming here. Because she didn't come here doing that. But there's something she found that she couldn't find in a, in a, in a, in a man or a loved one. She found it in Jesus. You know, we all born with these imperfections and things we don't like. Like, we may want something, but we not be, may be able to do it. For example, I've been told all my life, and listen, you can be, a lot of people are worried about pastors, how they're going to mess up. One way, one thing you'll never hear is you'll, hear, you'll see me at a dance club. Because if there's something I don't have, if there's an imperfection, a defect that I have, I am a stiff human being. I don't have rhythm. My wife finally got me to learn to bend my knees when we slow dance because I used to do the robot slow dance. Because I thought you had to be stiff. And then when I was young, uh, you know, back in the 70s, how many remember doing the bump? Huh? Remember the bump? Well, look, the girls didn't want to bump with me because all I had was bones right here. And they would leave hurting. And they would go, oh, no, oh, you hurt. Nobody wanted to uh, bump with me until this one lady, this one young girl, uh, she was a little more blessed than others. And since she had a little bit of extra padding, she didn't mind bumping with me. And she taught me how to bump a little bit. But, you know, some of us are just born with different, you know, things that just don't operate and work the way we want to. So, you know what? That's okay. You know, being stiff comes in good with other things, you know. But there's just areas in our life we, we might wish things would be different. We wish we were different. We wish we had a different lifestyle. We may be trying to different things to try to find ourselves. But it says that there is a truth hidden in your core, maybe a word you received when you were a child. You may be here today and you may be backslidden away from God. You may be caught up in things and you wonder, I'm here. what am I doing here today? Holy Spirit says you are here because He's got a purpose and a plan and He's got a word for you today. Now, I want you to see, don't be hating on me. How many know that's something familiar? You know, you hear the young people say all the time, don't be hating on me. Don't be complaining. Don't be pushing me around. Just like Jerry say, don't be hating on me. Don't be hating on me. We all have got our dis, we all have our imperfections. And if you don't believe it, I'm sorry. We all have our imperfections. And it says, love does not take pleasure in the unrighteousness and the sin of others. I love this next part. Look at this. It does not feed upon the sin and wrong of others. 
You know, it's just, it's just something sometimes. People seem to just feed on when other people make a mistake. Some people seem to get excited when somebody messes up. Oh, did you hear? No, what? And it just almost seems like a rush to hear about somebody goofing up, feeding on that. But the love of God doesn't do that. He goes on to say, nor does it pass along the stories. Nor does it pass along the stories of sin and wrong. It doesn't gossip. It doesn't put down. It doesn't slander. Yeah, but they're living in sin. Then you pray for them. But don't you pass that around. Oh, but they're wrong. Who are you to judge? Don't you pass it around. The love of Jesus Christ doesn't take pleasure in what the sin and the wrong of others. And the love of Christ doesn't go around passing what other people's messes are around. It goes on to say, does not rejoice of others' failures, spread rumors, or defame through gossip. That's the word. And we need the grace of God. We're imperfect. We're going to mess up in some of these areas. But this is the truth at the core of the love of Christ. It's easy to love Christ. It's easy to love the word. But it's another thing to love one another in that selfless, unself-centered love of Jesus Christ one towards another. Now, I want to show you something else here. What's going on? Oh, no, wait. There we go. Romans 12, 9 through 18. You can see it right here. Just the two verses here. Don't just pretend to love others. How many know pretend is the word for an actor being a hypocrite, being an artist, being wearing a mask, being somebody that you're not? Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Look at you and say, I really love you. I really love you. Lord, give these people love. Hate what is wrong, hate what is wrong, and hold tightly to what is good. Verse 10 says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. The next part here. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. And verse 15. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. You know, it, it is easy to weep with those who weep many times more than it is to rejoice with those who rejoice. This church is so awesome. I see people, everybody's so awesome about everything, but boy, you see the crowd and the love at a funeral? All the food, all the love, staying late, just staying right there. I love you. I appreciate you. We're good at weeping with those who weep. But let them get a new car. Or let them get a new house and they're going to have a barbecue and a dedication and they want you to come. I don't want to go see their new house. I've been praying for a new house myself. Why am I going to go see their new house? All they're going to do is be showing off. What they're doing with that new car? Why are they pouring oil in a car up there? Oh, we're dedicating the car. Oh, they got a new car. You know, I should have got a new car. I've been praying for a new car. Why didn't I get a new car? What's all the decoration of the church about? We're having a wedding. Well, who's getting married this time? I know it's not me. (laughs) It's easy to weep with those who weep than it is to rejoice with those who rejoice. You know what's hard? 
Brother Floyd got up here Wednesday night to give a testimony. He fell and hurt himself and we prayed and God healed him and he was raising up his hand. It's hard to rejoice at someone's testimony when you're still in the test. doesn't rejoice at the evil, it rejoices at the good. And I want to share a story with you about Jesus right quick in Mark chapter 3. And the one we've got to study is Jesus, especially when it comes to learning how to love as Christ loved us. I want you to see here about Christ. Mark chapter 3. I'll be reading out of the Living Bible. Now listen, Mark chapter 3, verse 1. Jesus went into the synagogue again. Don't you love that word again? We're going to be using it some today, and it's going to refresh you, and it's going to bless you. But here he goes. Jesus is going to church again. Here he is going to church again. Been rejected Brought to the end of a mountain to be thrown off, but he's going in again. Aren't you glad that Jesus just doesn't leave the church when the church leaves him? And he comes into the church again and noticed. I love the living Bible here. I wish I just got this last night, so I wasn't able to get it up there for you. But he went into the church and he noticed. Say noticed. A man with a deformed hand. He went in church. And who the Jews would call a sinner and cursed. And in the back of the church, Jesus noticed him. Deformed hand. He can't function properly. He can't do his work properly. He can't perform properly. And it says in verse 2, since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. Oh, I've seen that man and that woman in a certain place before. You better watch him. He's done had three wives and I know he's hunting for his fourth. You better watch her. You better watch those preacher's kids. You better watch them preachers. You go in church and you know what? In here, all of his enemies were on the front row. And they were taking notes but not of what he was preaching. They were taking notes of what he was doing wrong. You know, I've had people give me letters after my messages. This has been a few years when I just got back from speaking Spanish. But a few, few people would write me messages and write down all my mistakes in English. So I wonder if they really got the message or they just came to correct my grammar. That took about six pages of notes anyway. <laughs> But you know what? Jesus went into the church again and he noticed the hurting, the broken, and the deformed. And all the ones on the front row, they were watching him closely. If he healed this man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, and I love this. Listen to what it says in the Living Bible. Come and stand in front of everyone. According to the Jews, to stand in the front is the highest place of honor. And Jesus told the man with the deformed hand that everyone else rejected, I'm not here for those who are not interested in getting touched. 
I'm here for those who everyone else rejects. And they're looking for an opportunity to prove me wrong. They're looking for an opportunity to accuse me. And you see, what Jesus was doing was breaking 39 laws of the Sabbath. But he didn't come here to follow man's laws. He came here to make a new law that you love one another. And in front of everyone, then he turned to his critics and he asked. How many of you know truth will slap you in the face? Truth will slap you in the face. And that's why so many times people want to run when truth is prevailing in their life. If you're hurting and you're discouraged and you're wondering, what am I supposed to do? What can I do with my life? You're closer to the victory than you think. Jesus responded to those who cursed his critics and asked, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. Verse 5 says, he looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. And he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. Verse 6, at once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. You see, so many times religion or human nature so many times when it's not renewed and it's not operating the love of God it's so easy to say we're going to get him we're going to watch him till we find something wrong with him or her we're going to find something on him until we can say aha I knew it and they were there just watching why can we catch Jesus it's not important that he's healing it's not important that he is here to heal let's keep the healing and let's keep the touching down let's just be here to criticize Love rejoices at the evil in an unrenewed spirit. But love rejoices when the evil is healed and gotten rid of. There was always that critical attitude when they saw the blind man. They said, who sinned? Him, his father, or his mother? Always trying to find out who is at the root of the problem. And Jesus was trying to tell them, I am the answer to everything in your life. Amen? 1 Corinthians 13, 6 says, It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. I want you to see this next one here. It says in Romans 12, 9, Without dissimulation, uh, to judge as under a mask or cloak, and appearing to be what was not a hypocrite, doing things to deceive. Now, here's a revelation on truth. Love rejoices in the truth as it is received and prevails. Love will prevail. It rejoices when others... Whoa, wait a minute. It rejoices when others are recognized and promoted for whom they are and for what they have contributed. Hey, they're honoring so-and-so. Praise God. God is honoring so-and-so. Hallelujah. That's love. Love rejoices when the truth is rooted and grounded in a person. Love is courageous in the face of truth. Truth and life, they, they sometimes just collide. You know, when my, wife, when my wife and I were first married, you know, she, we wanted a baby so bad. And, and we went six years before she could uh, get pregnant. Or five years, she had the baby, uh, Cody, on the sixth year. And 
We did everything. I mean, we had every thermometer, everything, you know. And she wouldn't get pregnant. And we were going to Bible school and language school. And all the girls were getting pregnant. Some were getting married. And a month or two later, they were pregnant already. And, you know, you want to rejoice with them. But yet your heart is bleeding. And one of the definitions of loving earnestly means I'll love even though I'm bleeding. That's the love of Christ. Truth and life, they collide. Expecting our second child. Have our second child. Everything seems great. Beautiful child. Happy child. Then we start seeing signs. And at two years, find out the child was not normal. And then things started happening and autistic and all this other stuff. Thank God he's healed today. But truth, what do you do when truth and life collide? Expecting my dad to be healed. I'm getting ready to go back to Argentina. I call his doctor. I said, what what can you tell me personally about my dad? My dad wouldn't tell me. And she just real directly said, sir, your dad's going to die. And so a friend of my dad's close friend said, Russ, I'll email you when I feel like you need to come home. So we go to Argentina and I've got all this on my mind. And every day I'm scared to press the mail button inbox. Because is the email about my dad going to be in today? And we just came back from an awesome meeting down south of Argentina. And I got home and I pressed my inbox and there was an email from this pastor And he said, Russ, if you want quality time with your dad, you need to come home. What do you do when life and truth collide? Do you give up on the truth because life has done this to you? Do you give up on the truth because this has happened to this person or that person? Or do you keep believing because Jesus isn't about the truth, only he is the truth? If I give up on the truth, I give up on Jesus. Do you hear? Love is courageous in the face of truth. Now, I want to share something with you. I want to share another example. I feel like we need to get in here today. How many know Peter was one of the bold disciples of Christ? I mean, he said, I'll walk on the water. I mean, he walked on the water. He said, I'll die with you. I mean, he was bold. I mean, Peter was like the man. And you know, they show Peter on TV all kind of different ways. But how many would like to see a picture of of Peter? Would you all like to see a picture? I found a picture of Peter. (laughs) The rock. Jesus called him the rock. So there's Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane after he cut the guy's ear off. Yeah. That's Peter. Sister Jessie, wipe your chin, baby. That's Peter. Cut that ear off. I mean, Peter was the man. He was a fisherman. He was a warrior. Mighty Peter. I want you to see something. Can I change it now? In John chapter 20, 30 through 31, I'll make it a point. Watch this. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which were not written in this book. 
But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Boy, isn't that an awesome ending? You would think, wow, John, I could picture John closing the Bible and saying, whoo, boy, this was a good book. Wow. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that believing you may have life in His name. What an awesome book. And the Holy Spirit said, no. And John says, no. That's a perfect ending. Holy Spirit said, no, that's not the ending of the book of John. What do you mean? The restoration of Peter is not in there. The book cannot be completed without the restoration of Peter. And you see, Peter had cursed. But Lord, he was a cusser. He was a mean man. He was an evil man. And do you know the Bible says, let me show you this. We'll come back to these. But when they looked up, they saw that stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. So the place where they... See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples. And? And Peter. Let Peter know that I mentioned my name. But you know what? That wasn't enough for Peter. He still was brokenhearted. He still was discouraged. And he still wasn't restored. In chapter 20. Jesus appeared again to him, it says. But then I want to show you the second time. Here's the third time Jesus is appearing. John chapter 21, verse 1 through 17. After these things, Jesus showed himself again. Aren't you glad he'll do it again? You may not know how, you may not know when, but he'll do it again. He showed himself again to the disciples at the sea, and he, and he showed himself in verse 2, Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel, Cana, and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two others of his disciples were together. Look at verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Jesus had appeared to him. This is the third time. And what does Peter say? I'm going back to my old life. He called me when I was fishing. He don't really love me. Even though Jesus said, go tell Peter I'm alive, that wasn't enough. Maybe you're at a point today, you have been in church a few times. Maybe you've rededicated your life once or twice or three times. And you feel like, you know, what is the sense in even hoping or believing that God could really love me and accept somebody like me? Well, that's why God told John, you can't stop at chapter 20. You've got to write the restoration chapter about Peter who thought he had betrayed me, broken covenant, and did the unpardonable sin, and that there was no more hope for Peter. And Jesus showed himself again. And when Jesus left, Peter says, I'm going back to my old way of life. I can't live this way. It's, I just quit. And they said to him, how many know you are who you affiliate with? We're going with you. And they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night, what does it say? Listen, if you're here today and you've walked away from church, 
you've walked away from serving Jesus. And you're wondering why your life keeps coming out blank. You're wondering why your life keeps coming out zero. It's because when you go back to the old way with the old type of people, when you go back to where Jesus met you and took you away from that, there is nothing good that's going to come out of it. What happens when life and truth collide? What happens when the word says, train up a child in the way he should go when he's older he will not depart, but yet even the prophet Samuel's sons went into the world. What happened when you raise your children, you raise them in a Christian school and you spend all that money and you, you do all that traveling, you bring them to Christian school and they've got chapel all the time and they're worshiping and serving God and they're going to Christian school and they're so Christian, they play flag football instead of real football. <laughs> and when they tackle you, they help you back up and say, can I pray with you? Are you okay? I mean, you know, you're raised in a totally Christian atmosphere. Everybody's just smiling and bringing in their sheaves and everything's just great. And they come home and the family is on fire for God and they go to church, but then they go to college. And I sat across from that counselor at college that told my son to his face in front of us, you can be your own man and you call the shots. Where's that picture of the rock? And all these years of sowing, And then some little nutty professor gets up there and goes, I am here to discourage you from believing anything your mother, your father, or so-called priest and pastor has taught you. Because what do they know? That's old school. I'm the new school. And what do we know about them professors? What do we know about them bosses? What we know about all these different things and life and truth is colliding and they're telling you, do what you want to do. Go where you want to go. Be who with you want to be with. Marry whoever you want to marry. Try anything you want to try. I'm going fishing. Uh-huh. And you're catching nothing. You're going nowhere. And you're accomplishing nothing. But when the morning had come, who comes the fourth time? Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, the King James says, friends. You know what some of us would have said? Hey, you jerks. Hey, you bunch of losers. Look, look what he says. Caught any fish? Here they are. They're fishermen. They're fishermen. And every time Jesus runs into them, they ain't catching nothing. Remember the first time? Same question. Caught any fish? Same thing. We fished all night. What did you catch? Nothing. Here they are again. What did you catch? Nothing. So what did he say? Try the right side. Try the right side. You've been doing things on the left side. That's man's side. That's humanity's side. You've been doing things under your own flesh. You've been doing things out of your own will. Now get on the right side of the boat and you'll find what you're looking for. You'll find what you need. You'll find what you're hoping for. You'll find what you cannot get for yourself. 
Don't try to get for yourself what I am only able to give for you. And Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land full. And there were so many. Now, I saw this and I said, I'm going to look this up because it's in the Bible. 153. Now, if you and I would have been writing the Bible, I would have said over 100, over 150. But Jesus made sure the Holy Spirit had an inspired 153. So I looked that up. 100 means full recompense of reward. It means fullness. 50 means Pentecost Jubilee. 50 means freedom and liberty. And three there, that number three means to imitate the perfection of the Godhead. And here's Peter. Ruined it all. Not getting anywhere. Not doing anything. And he goes out and he does it the way God says to do it. And the Lord is prophetically telling him because the Hebrews knew how to do numbers. And they knew that the 153 means... I'm being restored to the freedom and the liberty to imitate the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. I, I might have denied them. I might have cursed. I might have ran away. I, I've let, even after three appearances, I still three impacts with God. Still's not enough. And now he knows fish and he's counting. You mean you restore me to be imitators of you? And isn't it something that when when Peter was sinking in the water, what did Jesus do to Peter? He stuck out his hand. After this, Acts chapter 3, what did Peter do to imitate Jesus to the man born lame at the gate? Silver and gold I don't have. But such as I have, he imitated Jesus. And he picked him up. Even someone who betrayed, who lost hope, and even went to his back lifestyle. And then look at this. Verse 13. Jesus then came and took the bread <laughs> and gave it to them. He had communion. He said, Peter, you think you broke covenant. You think you did the worst mistake of all mistakes. Peter, you think there's no hope for you. But he broke bread and he said, I'm renewing my covenant today with you. I'm not only telling you about the new liberty and the freedom, but I'm renewing my covenant. And you know what? It, it says, it said there, I might have passed it up. It says it, says it in there uh, another time. It says, Jesus had built a fire. Where did Peter betray Jesus? At the campfire. What do you think when he saw, when he saw the fire? I denied him at the fire. And now Jesus has built a fire for me to proclaim him as Christ once again. 
will never are we to forget where we had our encounter with Jesus and where he brought us from. We can't ever forget what Jesus did for us. And then I want you to see something in verse 17 and on. What did Jesus tell them? Jesus says, feed my lambs. Or in other words, feed the weak, the uncontrolled, the untrained. He's telling Peter, as I have had patience and I have come to restore you, now I want you to be patient and restore the weak. The word weak speaks in Romans chapter 14 of the complainers, the backbiters, the betrayers, those who are needy, those who are lost, those who are in church, but yet they're not living the life as they should. Jesus is saying, Peter, I don't want you to cut their ears off. I don't want you to bop their heads. I don't want you to give up on them. I want you to imitate me as giving your life for them as I gave my life for you. Isn't that powerful? 15 verse 1 says, We that are strong ought to tease the weak. We who are strong ought to reject the weak. We who are strong ought to mock the weak. We who are strong ought to rejoice at the weakness of the weak. No, we who are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Quickly look at Galatians chapter 6 with me. I know I've gone over time, but look at Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Verse 1, the message translation. You may be here today, you must admit you're empty. You're lost. You're hurting. Peter was empty. He was lost. He was hurting. Look, it says in Galatians 6 verse 1, this is the message translation. Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him. Isn't that good news? Anybody here besides me fell into some type of wrong and sin and error? Anybody? So I'm the big sinner here today. Okay, I'll take that. Forgivingly restore him. Forgivingly restore him. Do you know what I've seen in a church in Argentina? The pastor's daughter got pregnant. She was in love with a young man. The pastor said, he don't have any money. I don't want you marrying him. But she loved him and she made a mistake and she got pregnant. You know what the pastor did? He made his own daughter sit at the back wall and nobody could tell her hello. And she had to stay in her seat against the back wall and she could not tell anybody hello and nobody could tell her hello because she had to be disciplined. She was a sinner. And how many times has that happened in the body of Christ? Rejoicing over the evil instead of rejoicing that they will find the truth. She repented, but that wasn't enough. Let's crucify her. Let's accuse her. Let's let that spirit of rejection get a hold of the mama so we make sure that baby really gets it good. Forgivingly restore him. Saving your critical comments to yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day is out. Stoop down and reach out. Reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens and so complete Christ's law. If you think you're too good for that, you are badly deceived. James chapter 5. 
we are going to be a church of Christ followers. James chapter 5 verse 19, this is also the message. It says, my dear friends, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, if, listen, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Go after them. Pastor, I want a ministry. Do you know somebody who's messed up? I know a bunch of people who's messed up. Throw your nets in, get 153 of them, and bring them back into the body of Christ so that they can be restored. Church has taught us, write them off, write them off, write them off. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. Go after them. Get them back. And you would have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic, an epidemic, an epidemic of wandering away from God. What have we seen here in the United States? An epidemic of wandering away from God. Why? Because we write people off if they do this and that. When Jesus says, no! That will open up a door to an epidemic of me losing those precious lives that I gave my life for. Don't write them off. But pastor, they've messed up. Oh, and we haven't. The word restore means in the Greek to repair and make better than new. To repair and make better than new. Let me end. This picture is by G.F. Watts. And it's the name, I believe it's G.F. Watts. I know his last name's Watts. In, in this picture is the word blind hope. It's a pe- peasant, peasant girl. She's in real poor clothes, dirty. And she's sitting on top of the globe. She's got a blindfold because she, she's blind. She can't see. This artist was a Christian man. And, and she's playing a harp that only has one. You can't see it real well, but it only has one string left and she's putting her ear to that one string in the hope of still hearing music I still believe I'm going to hear a song I still believe there's something good that's going to come out of this I still believe even though the sound is faint and I can't see any change And I don't have any change on the outside, but there is still hope in me that there is still another recovery in me to come out of this pain and suffering that I'm in. You know, in World War II, when Winston Churchill stood up to tell everyone, saying, France has fallen, and now we are by ourselves. We have no one to depend on. They're coming after us. They're bombing us, and it is we have no one to depend on but ourselves. And he saw the whole face of the people just... And when he saw their desperation, he says, but quite frankly, I find that inspiring. And he led Britain through the war by the power of his words. Because he gave the people hope. Not hope 
of liberals, not hope of Democrats, not hope of Republicans, hope from the heart of a man of God. What are you going through? You need to say today, I find it quite inspirational. There's truth at the base that's going to free. Some people say there's no hopeless situations, only men and women who make them hopeless. But I like to quote Dr. Phil. What does that mean to you? What does that mean to you? My marriage is a wreck. I don't know what I'm going to do. He's crazy. And what is that to you? What are you going to do about it? Are we going to write them off? Are we going to say, let's just forget about it? Let's w- I wish that never would have happened. I wish I'd have never met him. Where Jesus is the hope of all eternity. You can continue reading. We won't read anymore. But in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, 8 says, love hopes all things. Let me share something with you. And I'll, I end. You've done missed your lunch anyway. <laughs> How many remember in school? When you were picked to get the hall pass and go to the principal or something. Remember, the teacher would say, Russell, come here. And write out a hall pass and fold it up and you'd put it in your pocket. And you'd be walking down the hall and a teacher come out the door. Russell Cobb, what are you doing? Hall pass. You walk down, you walk out, you get out your chair and you're walking out towards the door. And everybody's looking at you and you pass by your friends and you go... Hall pass. Go to the bathroom. Comb your hair in the middle. Put your, remember those big combs? Put your comb. Hall pass. Get water a few times. Slide down the hall. And y'all slid down the hall. All that good stuff. The principal. Cobb, what are you doing? Hall pass. Well, I want you to know. Hallelujah. Hall pass. Hall pass. Hall pass. Hall pass. I'm going to rejoice at the truth. I'm going to believe for the truth. And when the devil says, yeah, but you did cocaine. Yeah, but now I'm doing Christ. Oh! Oh! Yeah, you were lost. You were lost in your sins. You were down and out. But yeah, now I know the resurrection and the life. His name is Christ. The woman caught in adultery. Where are your accusers? I got a whole pass. <laughs> I got a whole pass. I got a whole pass. There is now no condemnation. To those who are in Christ Jesus. Sookie, sookie. Wouldn't you like to just go through hell? He said, even when you walk through the fire, I'll be with you. Hall pass. There's an epidemic of sickness and disease. Hall pass. There's an epidemic of divorce and separation. Hall pass. 
There's a, there's a whole lot of things going in the economy. We're going to die. Hall pass. I'm covered by the blood of the Lamb. You can't kill. You can't kill this forever. Because if you kill this body, my spirit's going to be with Jesus. Somebody look at you and say, Hall pass! Hall pass! Ah! <laughs> Woo! You ought to right now be saying, I'll take that. <laughs> I'll take some of that. You just close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment. Just right there where you are. Just right there. 